Good morning. Don't you just love a good explosion? That might sound like a bit of an odd thing to say because when you think explosion, you probably think guns, bombs, wars, and all that sort of stuff. But deep down, don't we quite enjoy the drama of things blowing up? I think we must do because that's why TV shows and films are just so full of dramatic explosions. But it doesn't have to be damaging, awful explosions when I talk about explosions. I mean, there are other things that are exciting about explosions. I think about football crowds when a goal goes in, the explosion of noise and limbs everywhere of excitement. I think about when you see a loaf of bread rise in the oven, the way the yeast acts and it suddenly just explodes upwards and outwards. Or even, dare I say it, and I'm going to lose any last semblance of masculinity here, but I love a good bath bomb. When you throw that in the bath and all this colour and smell and all that sort of stuff comes out of it. Can we just pretend I never said that? Let's, let's move on. Anyway... In our Acts series, we've been going through the book of Acts and we've been looking at Paul and his missionary journeys. And we've been learning all about a very different kind of explosion. The explosion of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ spreading across the world and the growth of the early church. And today we're reaching a really fascinating point. It's a point where Paul arrives in a place where he stays longer than anywhere else he's been so far. And it's Corinth in Greece. And Corinth is a place that understands a thing or two about how a powerful, good explosion can make a huge impact. Let me set the scene for you a little bit with a little bit of a a history and geography lesson. Greece, from a distance, looks a bit like two separate islands. You've got the main part of the north, which includes Athens, and then this southern section, which is called the Peloponnese. When you take a closer look, they're actually connected up by a small strip of land just six kilometers wide. And that's where Corinth is. It's actually a piece of land that's actually called the Isthmus of Corinth. Now that geography was something of a frustration for ancient traders. The Roman Empire was a vast area, but if you wanted to trade from Italy over to modern day Turkey or Asia Minor as it was then, it was made really difficult by Greece being in the way. Now, if the isthmus wasn't there, the ships would be able to sail straight between the two bits of Greece, the mainland and the Peloponnese. But because the isthmus was there, you were left with two options. Mm. You can either try and cross the isthmus on dry land, or you can make a 200 mile detour to the south of Greece through difficult stormy seas. So understandably, the preferred route was actually the dry one. Ships would sail from Rome and arrive at the isthmus of Corinth via the Gulf of Corinth, and there they'd unload the ship and transfer its cargo and the ship itself across the isthmus to another port on the other side where they'd reload it all again and set sail for Asia Minor. Now what would have really helped would be a ship canal that could have been built right through the middle of the isthmus. And in fact, several attempts were made at this, including as early as the 7th century BC. Just 15 years after Paul visited Corinth, the Emperor Nero broke ground himself on a brand new attempt to dig a canal. He used a workforce of 6,000 Jewish prisoners of war, but they'd hardly managed to get a tenth of the way into the project before they gave up because it was just too hard to dig a canal of that size. However, today there is a functioning ship canal through the Isthmus of Corinth. It was finally constructed in the 1890s and it was made possible by a radical, controversial but important invention. It was Alfred Nobel's invention of dynamite. This allowed controlled explosions to blast through the thick sandstone and create the canal which had been lacking for so long. 
It was over six kilometers long and up to 250 feet deep. And today, even large crude ships are able to pass through the canal safely. So, because of the way Corinth was situated and the passing trade that came through it, even before the canal, Corinth was a booming and important city when Paul arrived. But it was actually less known for business and more for pleasure. The ever-changing population of sailors and traders passing through Corinth made it actually a place of debauchery and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity. There was a temple to the Greek goddess of love, Aphrodite, that was at the top of Corinth. And in that temple, you'd find thousands of what were called priestesses of vice, prostitutes, basically. And, and the people who used the temple would have all sorts of fun up there. And if you watch Greek plays at the time, often there was a character who would be introduced as a Corinthian and they would enter the stage drunk and all over the place. Matt last week brilliantly told us about Paul in Athens and the challenge that Paul faced in speaking to a city that was known for its intellectualism, for its, its wisdom and, and how intimidating it would be for Paul in that place because of speaking to the, into that culture. Well, I would argue that in Corinth, Paul faces an even more intimidating situation. He's speaking to a city full of drunken sex addicts. It's not the most receptive audience to a message of repentance and turning to God, is it? If you thought digging a six kilometer, 250 foot uh, canal through the Isthmus of Corinth was gonna be hard work, this is gonna be even harder. And Paul even admits later when he writes back a letter to the Corinthian church, he says to them, when he arrived in their city, I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. And you can see why. So we've learned a little bit about the culture of Corinth. Let's actually have a look in the passage of what happens to Paul when he gets there. We're going to look at Acts and it's chapter 18, starting at verse 1. Let's read together. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. When Paul left the synagogue, he went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptised. And then one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack you or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. The brief bit of history and geography I gave you this morning is because I really think that the story of Corinth and its canal actually kind of echoes what happens to Paul in his ministry to Corinth a couple of thousand years earlier. He arrives in the city unknown. 
He's not particularly wealthy. He doesn't have any particular status there other than the fact he's a Roman citizen. And so it seems pretty impossible for him from the outset that he's going to get his message across. I mean, how is he going to reach people and why would they listen to him? It's the equivalent of him having to dig a six kilometre, 250 foot canal all on his own. And when he first arrives, he goes to the synagogue every single Sabbath and he speaks to the Jews in the synagogue and tries to tell them about Jesus. In verse 4, it says that Paul was trying to persuade the people about Jesus. In fact, in in the ESV version of the Bible, it says he reasoned with people. And that wording seems to suggest, doesn't it, a human effort. Paul is relying on his knowledge and persuasion a little bit to try and get the message across. Now, I don't know about you, I've I've had loads of debates and arguments down the years with non-Christians about Christianity, about my faith. And you know what, I've got to be honest, never once at the end of one of these deep intellectual whatever discussions has someone turned round and said to me, do you know what, Chris, you're right, you win, you've persuaded me, I bow to your superior knowledge and I change my worldview. Because becoming a Christian isn't a head thing, it's not an intellectual pursuit. It's not about head knowledge, it's about heart. And so trying to persuade and reason people into faith can be like trying to dig a six kilometre, 250 foot canal using only human labour. In my case, with my level of intellectual knowledge, I may as well be trying to do that with a cocktail stick, to be frank. But Paul introduces us to a secret weapon. He has a dynamite, more powerful and effective than any intellectual effort of his own. Paul has the gospel. It's the life-changing story of Jesus Christ. In verse 5, we discover that Paul didn't just reason and argue with people. It says this, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And there's a big difference, I think, between reasoning and persuading and arguing and preaching and testifying. A really big difference. Paul is no longer just giving rational arguments and intellectual thoughts. He's preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he's telling them his own personal story of how Jesus has radically entered his life and changed it. And here's the really interesting thing. The Greek word in this passage, which is translated to us to preaching, is the word dynamis. And that is the word from which Alfred Nobel gave his invention the name dynamite. It's a powerful explosion. Paul might start off with intellectual debate, but he ends up with passionate, explosive proclamation. And that is what wins hearts and minds over. Paul unleashes the dynamite power of the gospel. He reflects on this again later when he writes back to the church in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. In this word, it's dynamios. So that the faith, your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, dynamé in the Greek. The gospel did what Paul could not do. It blasted a canal through the impenetrable rock that stood between the Corinthian lifestyle of drugs and sex and rock and roll and the God of heaven. And that same Dynamite gospel power is available and is as powerful to us today as it ever was before. 
So this morning, I want to take a look at three things the gospel dynamite can do in our lives. If you're not a Christian this morning, I believe and I hope that God may be about to detonate the dynamite of his truth, his gospel in your life this morning. Get ready. I believe he wants to speak to you this morning. If you are a Christian, please don't switch off here. There may be a need for the gospel to blow up in your life all over again. And maybe there's been a bit of a landslide in, in the canal of your relationship to God and it's been filled with debris and that just needs to be blasted away this morning. I believe God wants to remind you again of the power of his relationship with you this morning. So three things that the gospel dynamite does. Number one, gospel dynamite explodes myths about God. We're living in strange times, aren't we? We're, we're in this coronavirus, but even before coronavirus, we're living in a UK culture, which many people have started to describe as post-Christian. It's now rarer for people to believe in God and to orientate their lives around them than ever before. Many have decided that there's no need for God in their lives. He's either boring, irrelevant or untrue, or maybe even all three for them. And yet in COVID-19, some people have started to say, well, this is bringing out all sorts of new questions about God. But in actual fact, I think the questions that people are asking in COVID-19 are the same questions that humanity has grappled with for many, many centuries. The questions like, where is God in our suffering? Why doesn't God care? Why is he just allowing COVID-19 to happen? Isn't God supposed to be good and loving? If he was, wouldn't he stop this? And throughout, throughout history, these questions have come during wars and famines and global diseases. And also in personal crises like illness and job loss and bereavement and mental health issues and disability. And for many people, these questions, they're not questions anymore. They're believed truths. They've come to arrive at a place where they say God doesn't care or he doesn't exist because if he did, life wouldn't be like this. But this way of thinking, I believe, is a myth which is blown apart by the dynamite of the gospel. Because in the truth about Jesus and his life and his death and resurrection, you will find a true story, about a, not about a distant God who doesn't care and who keeps his hands in his pockets. Rather, we find the truth about a God who cares so much about the pain and suffering in the world that he entered it. He incarnated he became flesh jesus god in human form entered our world and suffered at first hand the brutality of it the gospel tells us that when we suffer god doesn't say well that's not of my business he says i know i understand i've been there and i'm right there with you ah often self-inflicted suffering and pain meant that God acted. The sin in our lives which had caused such destruction and devastation and separation from God saw God take drastic action to free us from its consequences through his son. God is not distant and uncaring. He is right here with us. I believe God weeps at the coronavirus just as Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. He cares deeply and passionately for every single soul. And he acted to provide a hope and a future and assurance of something more, something better than this mess. Eternity with him in a new creation. 
free from pandemics and wars and sin and suffering. This gospel, this dynamite gospel explodes the myth of the uncaring and distant God. As Tim Keller, a church leader in New York City, tweeted on Wednesday, God suffered to end evil without ending us. Dynamite gospel explodes the myths that God doesn't care. The second thing that gospel dynamite does is that it removes blockages. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to ask you, what's stopping you? It might be that you simply just don't believe there's a God and that's never going to change. And, and you know what? Fair enough. If that's you, it's going to be very hard to convince you. Otherwise, Paul encountered people like this. Uh, he was attacked by people even in Corinth and, it, and his response was to say, do you know what? I'm just going to leave you to the consequences of that pattern of belief. And I guess I will do the same this morning. That's fine. But maybe for some of you, it's not so much that you don't believe in God, it's that there's a blockage to your belief in him. That somehow something gets in the way of you accepting him and letting him into your life and following him. I think there's three C's here uh, that are classic blockages. One is comfort. The fact that you just enjoy your life so much as it is, that you just don't see the need to change things. God may be real to you, you may believe he's there, but you just don't see how following him can be any improvement on the life you have. You just don't want to change things. You, you've got a comfortable way of life. Another C is, is cost. But that can be a blockage to God. You fear that following God will mean losing things that you're just not prepared to lose. You might think that your family or friends might mock and disown you because of if you become a Christian. It may be that you'd have to sacrifice time and money that you're just not prepared to sacrifice. It may be that there's activities that you enjoy that you think, actually, if I, if I become a Christian, I'm not going to be allowed to do that anymore. The cost is too high. I'm not interested. Or maybe a third C, maybe your conduct. It may be that you have some guilt over something that you do or are doing or have done in your life that you believe is such a, a terrible thing you, you, that you're guilty about it and that you think because of that, then you're blocked off from God, that God couldn't possibly be interested in you. Your conduct has barred you from a relationship with God. Those are three things, comfort, cost and conduct, which are well, classic people, which things that people say, that these things block me from becoming a Christian. I want to say that the gospel dynamite blows all of these things up, removes these blockages, smashes them to smithereens. To those of you blocked by that thought of comfort, well, do you know what? The gospel makes no promise of comfort in this life. It doesn't make any promise about wealth or, or, or the lifestyle we want to have, but it promises something better. It promises an eternity of joy that no earthly experience or comfort or possession could possibly match that was a huge a huge thing to say in Corinth where it was a hugely wealthy and promiscuous city it was a city of momentary highs of sex and substances but the gospel Paul was able to say provides a satisfaction eternity a sat eternity eternal satisfaction that can't be matched by anything you experience in the city of Corinth the gospel says don't make the mistake of treasuring the comfort you have on this earth because it can't last forever but eternity is coming and if you invest in the gospel, if you, if, you, if you make your home in Jesus, there's something far more satisfying than anything you'd have here. To those you blocked by cost, the gospel assures you actually that there will be a cost. There will be trials and difficulties that you will face if you become a Christian on account of being a Christian. But that the rewards of heaven far outweigh the pain of these. Jesus himself went through the most brutal sufferings to secure for us an eternal relationship with God and he believed the cost was worth it and the cost for us to follow him, let me tell you, is worth it too.
Paul knew that cost. He was a rising star in the Jewish world. He had a great education, he had high status, he was Jewish elite. He was a Roman citizen too. And he was given authority to persecute Christians and break up the religion before it went too far. But the gospel dynamite blew his life up. It cost him everything he'd worked so hard to achieve and it forced him to go to the early church, the people he'd just been persecuting, to turn up on their doorstep as a sworn enemy before and say, guys, can I join you? I believe in Jesus. Gospel dynamite changed Paul massively. It was a huge cost to him, but he never for one moment regrets it. In fact, he writes later to the church in Philippi, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says, I've lost a lot. It cost me a lot to be a Christian, but it was totally worth it. All that was rubbish compared to having Jesus in my life. Clearly the same transformation takes place in this passage with Crispus. It says Crispus was the Jewish synagogue leader in Corinth. He was, he was the, you know, the highest guy in, in, in the synagogue. And the same thing happens to him. He learns who Jesus is. He counts the cost. He gives up his status as the synagogue leader and he follows Jesus. The cost was worth it. You may feel you have everything to lose by becoming a Christian. You may be right, but you've got everything to gain. Far more than you lose, you will gain in Jesus. The final blockage we looked at is conduct. Gospel dynamite blows away any notion that we are not good enough. Any notion that there's anything we could ever do or have done that could stop us from, from knowing God. Because the good news of Jesus is that the sacrifice he made once and for all is powerful enough to wipe away all sin, past, present, future. Anything you've ever said, done, thought that you think that's going to stop me from, from God loving me is dealt with categorically by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. All you need to do to remove that blockage is to accept the truth. And the blockage of your conduct is blown away by this gospel dynamite. Again, we see this in Corinth in, Corinth in verse eight. It says that many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Guys, these were drunken, debauched sex addicts who heard the gospel and the dynamite explosion of the gospel just blew away the blockage of their sin, the blockage of their drunken, debauched lifestyles. And they were able to say, Jesus, I want you and I accept your forgiveness. There's nothing that you could have done or will do that can stop the gospel from blowing away your sin and giving you a great relationship with God. So dynamite, gospel dynamite, it explodes myths, it removes blockages. The third thing it does is it allows living water to flow. In 1890s Corinth, that dynamite that blew the canal enabled water to flow through, changing the landscape forever in that place. And it's the same when gospel dynamite blows through our lives. In John 7, Jesus says these words, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. What he's describing here is that even though Jesus has long since departed earth in his, in his physical body, his presence is available to us now through his Holy Spirit to enjoy every moment of every day. This Holy Spirit nourishes us. It ref he refreshes us. He guides us. He helps us. He blesses us. He speaks to us. He heals us. He brings us peace. He intercedes for us and he makes us 
fruitful. Doesn't that sound pretty good? It's a living water, a living, flowing thing that just rushes through our lives once those, those blockages are removed, once the gospel dynamite explodes in our hearts. The gospel dynamite has a long-lasting impact. It's not a momentary explosion and that's it. It triggers an eternity-long dynamic relationship with God through his spirit. The Christian life is not about rules and regulations and can't do this, can't do that. It's a living, breathing, experiential relationship with a living God. Access is granted. The canal is open, the water flows. We have an invitation to an amazing relationship with God, blown open by the gospel dynamite. As we finish this morning, I want to ask you a couple of questions. If you're a Christian this morning, I want to ask you this question. Are you using your gospel dynamite? The gospel has already blown the canal open in your life to have a relationship with God. But in this passage, we learn that that it's such a powerful thing to share that other people can benefit from it too. Paul uses the gospel dynamite in his life and detonates it in the lives of others. Are you doing that? Are you sharing your story? Your story is powerful. Your story is dynamic. People need to hear how God has changed your life so that he can change theirs too. I want to ask you this morning, are you doing that? And don't be afraid. God's, God promises, Paul, he speaks to him in verse 10. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian watching this this morning, wherever you are in Liverpool or further afield as you watch on YouTube, you're not alone. You have the power of the gospel and there are many others that God has in your city working with you. So I want to say to you, share your story. Share the powerful dynamite of the gospel where you are. God is with you and he will use you to impact many others. I want to also say if you're a Christian this morning and you maybe feel blocked off from God again for some reason, maybe there's been a bit of slippage, maybe some of the sides of that canal have caved in and there's some blockage there, maybe you just need a refresh this morning, maybe a fresh explosion of the gospel in your life, maybe you just need to ask the Holy Spirit to come in again and just blow the debris away and just for the living waters just to flow again through your life. I believe I'll do that for you this morning if you ask. And if you're not a Christian, if you're watching this this morning, I want to say, don't just take my word for it. Don't just take Paul's word for it. Seek God out for yourself. Ask people their stories. If someone's invited you this morning to this YouTube link, ask them, say, what is it about God in your life? What did he do for you? Tell me your story. Tell me about the gospel in your life. I want to invite you to read the gospel for yourself and, and allow the explosion to take place in your heart, to remove the blockages that are there between you and God. There is a cost. And it may not always be comfortable following Jesus, but the benefits are eternal and guaranteed. You will have an eternal life with God in a new earth that he is going to bring where there's no more pain, no more pandemic, no more sin and sickness and death. Isn't that worth, isn't that worth the cost to escape this life eventually into something so much better? It can only be done through the gospel, through the dynamite power of the gospel. God's done it for you. Will you accept that this morning? He wants to detonate the gospel in your heart. He wants to blow your life up in a good way. Will you allow him to do that this morning? Let me just pray as we finish. Lord God, I thank you for the dynamite power of your gospel. I thank you for what it's done in my life and what it's done in so many other people's lives, Lord, that you've, you've wiped away all the blockages, Lord. You've wiped them out, Lord, so that we can have a relationship with you, our Father. I thank you, Jesus, for, for sacrificing your life so that we could have eternal life with you and your Father. And Lord God, I pray if there's anyone watching this morning 
if there's anyone who's has, who has a blockage to you, who wants to believe but doesn't, or will you blow up the blockage? Will you unleash your dynamite power in their lives and will they know the living water of salvation, of your spirit flowing through their lives even this morning? Jesus, in your mighty name, amen.